Good morning. What a beautiful few songs. Thankful for the musicians and their uh, helping lead us in those songs. I encourage you to sing out, sing together, let the voices of the congregation be heard in a morning like this where we have a little bit more of an acoustic style set. It's such a blessing to hear one another uh, as we sing to the Lord his praises. Well, if you're, uh, if you're newer and if Wednesday night, if you were here and that was the first time you've heard me uh, up on this stage, you might be a little nervous right now. Oh, man. <clears throat> this guy went an hour plus and said a lot of things that I'm not quite sure I fully understood. Pretty complex, but I can assure you this morning is different. Matt teaching is quite a bit different than Matt preaching. And so hopefully uh, the simplicity of the psalm that we work through and the encouragement we get from the Lord in it will be a blessing to each and every one of us this morning. So I am Matt Kirstein. I uh, have the pleasure of ser serving on the teaching team at this time at the church. I've had other um, serving opportunities over the years as well at the church here. I believe this is technically uh, Josh, Pastor Joshua's uh, final Sunday on sabbatical. I believe he returns to work sometime this week, and we'll get to enjoy him um, back on the stage on some capacity um, next Sunday. Open your Bibles to Psalm 27, as the screen alludes. We don't have any slides this morning. Again, keeping it real simple. It's going to be looking at and really living in this Psalm, Psalm 27. I'll read it, and then we'll proceed. We're told this is a psalm of David. It begins, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though the Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not. 
O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. It's an amazing section of Scripture. All of Scripture is amazing, but I'm hopeful that this morning we can be encouraged uh, in this psalm, Psalm 27. We'll use verse 1 as a bit of an introduction. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The verse This first verse here of Psalm 27 expresses confidence in God on the basis of who God is. God says, excuse me, David says that God through David says God is light, salvation, and a stronghold. And notice that this is personal, very, very personal. David says that God is his light, his salvation, and his stronghold. And this is a well-rounded declaration of who God is in fact. Who God is to the believer. And it summarizes God's vast blessings for the believer. So consider this with me to begin, because who God is, is of first importance. The Lord is my light. Amen. God is often associated with light in the Bible. We know this, right? Psalm 104 says that God wraps himself in light as with a garment. Job speaks of heaven as the dwelling of light. Several verses affirm that the Lord turns my darkness into light. Psalm 36.9 declares, in your light we see light. And Paul teaches that God lives in unapproachable light in 1 Timothy. But notice such an important claim in our verse, the Lord is my light. All. God is the light that dispels the darkness of trouble and evil. Believer, God is your light that dispels the darkness of trouble and evil. He is the only pure, omnipotent light. He is your light, believer. Next, the Lord is my salvation. Amen. God is the one who saves, who delivers us. In David's case, among other things, he certainly knew God as his deliverance from his enemies. How great God is. He saves us from our sin. 
saves us from our trouble, saves us from our enemies, saves us from all that would threaten to completely and finally ruin us. He saves us. The Lord is our salvation. And finally, in verse 1, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Amen? God is the one who protects us. Stronghold is sometimes translated as refuge. A stronghold is a safe place which has been fortified to protect against attack. Refuge is being safe or sheltered from pursuit, danger, or trouble. David clearly needed and experienced God as refuge from his foes. Even if his foes should attack, an army should surround him, or war should break out against his people, David knows that God is his stronghold. Consider how strong and caring God is, as he has all power to keep us, and he is so caring that he does. Now, what does knowing and loving the one true God mean? It means we can depend on him. Look at how we see this in our very first verse. David's application of knowing and being known by God is dependence on God. Look, the Lord is my salvation and my light. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I titled the sermon, Dependence on God in Hardship. And we see that modeled here. What does knowing and loving the one true God mean? It means we can depend on him in times of trouble, in harm, in hardship, and in our brokenness. We can have confidence, not in ourselves, not in our circumstances, not in our temporal hopes and dreams, but in God. And that is what I desire to encourage you with this morning. We can depend on God because he is the perfect one who loves his weak, needy, dependent sheep. He loves us. He cares for us. Now, with my, with my aim now on the table, let us see an amazing example that this psalm sets forth for us. Let us see a model of how to navigate our own brokenness and our times of trouble, harm, and hardship. Let us see what God has set forth through David's testimony. What I believe you will see is both confidence in God and humility in self. And I think that is so important for us to be encouraging. We will only find ultimate and lasting help and rest in depending on God. 
What a model of this dependence. The first half of our psalm shows blessed confidence in God. And we won't take too much time in the sermon to detail out all of the statements and facets in the first half verses. And that is because I have an intent to spend a bit more time in the last half of the psalm. But there's these two themes. And the first theme, the first half is confidence in God. As I read his confidence declarations again, take note that David is both singing God's praises and reminding himself of God's goodness, even in the hardest of times. He is preaching to himself, as we often call it. He's singing God's praises and preaching to himself. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Watch for the confidence throughout these verses, church. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me and eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in his shelter. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me under his cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Now, the hardship that David knows in these verses is incredibly heavy. Are you catching that? Few of us have known the weight of warlike battle. But we can still try to recognize and sympathize with how brutal these circumstances must have been. We can gather that from his claims, his declarations, and the circumstances he's describing. And in all of it, this insane hardship, what is David's cure? His dependence on God. Confidence in God. In some of the absolute hardest circumstances possible in life, David knows he must be dependent on God. Where else can he find true light? true salvation, true refuge, nowhere. Temporary experiences of light, salvation, refuge are offered all around us, no doubt. But when the hardest of times hit, a fallible sheep, only the good shepherd is where we can find true light, true salvation, true refuge. Think about how excruciating the circumstances must have been for David. 
He says, an army encamp against me? War arise against me? Evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. Friends, this is incredibly tough stuff. Brutally bad hardship. And think about how his, this circumstantial hardship would have tempted the inner man, his fallible flesh. How much temptation for emotional and psychological turmoil would be present. Absolutely horrific, physically and eternally, emotionally. Yet, David, even in all of his own weaknesses, sings of God's praises and preaches truth to himself. He says, Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? My heart shall not fear. I will be confident. How can this be in such circumstantial, physical hardship and temptation for emotional and psychological turmoil? How can this be? This can be because David knows the Lord. David reminds himself of the goodness of the Lord. And David seeks after the Lord. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation and the stronghold of my life. David reminds himself and proclaims out loud that he is God's and God is his. He reminds himself who God is. He reminds himself of his dependence on God. Because he is God's, David has confidence in God. And because he is God's, he also wants to be in that special place where God dwells in a unique way. The house of the Lord. Verse 4, one thing I have asked of the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. I believe this verse has hints and implications for the forever dwelling yet to come that we will have with the Lord, but its first and main meaning in this psalm is the earthly tabernacle. God has chosen to have his people meet with him in a special way in unique physical locations throughout human history. For example, the temple was one of the Old Testament dwellings, and the modern gathering of the saints are the New Testament expressions of this. In this sermon, the intent isn't to explain all that's needed to be understood about the special places where God dwells in a unique way. That needs to be fully understood, but you'll need to see that from other studies. In this sermon, though, see David's desire and let us be encouraged by it. None of us can deny that we too have experienced 
the amazing blessings of being in the house of the Lord. Again, less about a building in our new covenant time and more about the formal gathering of the saints, worshiping God, learning about God, praying to God together. There is something to be experienced of God in the formal gathering of the saints that is not experienced the same way elsewhere. Otherwise, why have such gatherings? Paraphrasing one theologian, if it is only instruction we need, we can get that as well by audio or by a book. If it is only fellowship, we can find that equally well, perhaps better in any other gathering. There is something to be said for the sheer physical singing of the hymns and sitting in the pews and the actual looking to the pulpit and gazing upon the Bible as it is expounded, the tasting of the sacrament, and the very atmosphere, the formal gathering set apart for worship of God that is spiritually beneficial. Isn't that true? Haven't you found a sense of God's presence simply by being in God's house? I do not mean to deny that God can and should be worshipped elsewhere, everywhere, but I am suggesting, the quote says, that the actual physical worship of God in the company of other believers can be most sacramental. I think we know that's true, church. Even though in our weak flesh, at times, we fall into the harmful trap of thinking otherwise about the gathering of the saints. So be encouraged in this example from David and this truth. David certainly knows the blessing. David wants to seek the face of the Lord in unique place to consult him in matters of difficulty of the moment, to search after the knowledge of divine things, and to ask for blessings of grace for which he will be inquired of, of his people, to bestow upon them, as John Gill has put it. In our passage thus far, we've seen David depending on God in confidence, in insane circumstances. And this dependence rightly stretches to wanting to be near the Lord, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and ask for his ongoing mercy and favor. Please see the intentionality that David has in this radical hardship. God has this in scripture for us to see a model of how we depend on him, even in the worst of hardships and despair. God wants us to remind ourselves and proclaim out loud that we are God's and God is ours. God wants us to remind ourselves who he is. God wants us to depend on him with confidence in him. Believer, God is your light, your salvation, and your stronghold. 
He wants us to gaze upon his beauty and inquire of him all of our needs. Come to him with confident dependence in your hardship, in your brokenness and despair, because he perfectly cares for you. He is good. Have confidence in God, not yourself, not others, not your circumstances. Now, as we turn to the second half of the song, let's see the model of dependence on God continue, now being shown even more humility in self. Humility in self. We get to peek into how David inquires of God, how David in trouble humbly pleads with the Lord, passionately, humbly pleads with the Lord. Pick up in verse 7. Let me read this again. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, I do seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. Yet I believe I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I believe this half of the psalm is very relatable for many, if not all. There appears to be quite a struggle going on internally in David. Are you catching that? A struggle I believe that many of us are well acquainted with, or have at times in life at least. There seems to be real despair in much of this which is especially notable since the first half of this psalm had so much confidence, so much strength, as some may say. And now we seem to learn of real weakness in David. How can this be? We all know already, don't we? We know what it is like to know true things about God, glorious things. And we know what it is like to have strong confidence in God, knowing we have been saved by His grace into an eternally secure relationship with Him. Yet, we also know what it is like to feel deep despair, worry, and mental or emotional weakness. And we know what it's like to ping pong back and forth between those realities, or even feel them somehow all at the same time. 
But there is more good news even still in this sermon and song. Because God saw fit to give us a helpful model. He ordained for us to see what it is like for a broken human to be humble in self, encompassed in dependence on God. And what do I mean by that? Well, we certainly see David's struggle in his humanity and concerns, yet he simply doesn't wallow in it and leave us without encouragement. No, he's honest about it. Yet, God has him model how to humbly depend on God in and through it. Let's see this and highlight all of, what, all of that as we walk through these second half passages. Verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You surely feel the emotion in this, right? You've had deep pains of this broken life whereby you found yourself pleading with God like this. And know this, church, God hears you. The testimony of Scripture is clear. God hears His beloved. And from our own view, He always shows Himself to be a God hearing of our prayers. He may not perform the way we desire in our fallible flesh, but his ways are perfect and his an- he answers every prayer according to his righteous will and timing and perfect care for us. Consider this further in the next verse. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. As Gil puts it, it is an encouragement to believers to seek the Lord when he calls them to it. You have said, seek my face. I will seek your face. I do seek your face. Gil is saying it's an encouragement for us to seek the Lord as he calls us to do it. He says that it's a command with a promise that they shall find him. Believers shall find the Lord. They shall see his face and enjoy his favor. He never says to any, seek my face in vain. Christians always find it good to draw near to God. And as it is the best way of seeking when the heart is engaged in it, so it is a token for good as it looks as though the Lord had a mind to manifest it himself, to cause it in us, and grant the favor sought for when he inclines the hearts of his people to pray unto him. And this the psalmist makes mention of as taking encouragement from it, to hope and believe that the Lord would hear and answer him. And have mercy on him because David has bid the face of the Lord. David seeks the face of the Lord. As Christians, we know that the right way of seeking the Lord is in Christ, who is our mediator 
and the way of access to him and of acceptance and fellowship with him. And that by prayer and supplication for his sake, with all of the heart and soul engaged. And this the Lord calls upon his people to do in his word, in his providences, and by his spirit moving upon our hearts and inclining us to it. Amen? It's helpful to understand and remember that God knows our frailties and weaknesses. As a good father knows his kids, but even more than that, our perfect, omniscient, all-knowing father, he knows his beloved creation fully. When we are struggling in despair, down on ourselves, or others are criticizing us, remember that God loves you and does not condemn you, believer. All because Christ Jesus lovingly took your condemnation upon himself on the cross. Yes, God knows our frame that we are yet dust and that we are so fallible and struggle so much. So he calls us to cry out to him at all times. And he is faithful to provide all that we need to overcome according to his perfect plan and timing. Believer, God invites you to seek him. Please don't neglect this, especially in your times of severe hardship. He's inviting you. He is calling you. Seek him and his gracious love that he has for you. Verse 9, more humble pleading, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not. O God of my salvation. Calvin wrote of hide not thy face from me that the psalmist elegantly continues the same form of speech, but with different meaning. The face of God is now employed to describe the sensible effects of his grace and favor. The sensible effects of his grace and favor. As if it had been said, Lord, make me truly to experience that thou hast been near to me. And let me clearly behold thy power in saving me. David knows God as his help. He says, oh, you who have been my help. He pleads with him, cast me not off, forsake me not. David is humbled. David acknowledges his dependence on the Lord, his obligation to the Lord. We know from his unbreakable promises that 
As Gill has put it, God will not leave his people destitute of his presence finally and totally, nor themselves and the corruptions of their hearts, nor to the temptations of Satan, nor will he forsake the work of his hands, the work of grace upon their hearts, or he or so forsake them as they shall perish. God will not. And that the Lord would not leave nor forsake David in such sense, the psalmist had reason to conclude, since God had been his help in times past, a present help in time of trouble, and his arm was not shortened, his power was the same to help as ever. And so were his inclination and will, since he could also call upon him and unto him as follows, O God of my salvation. I love this point from Gil. We know from the fact that he saved us. We know from all the times that he's helped us and our present help we get from him. We know that he will not withhold his help from us. And David knew this with confidence as God of my salvation. Surely God is the author of our temporal, spiritual, and eternal blessings, including all the blessings, both soul and body, for time and eternity. Consider now verse 10. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Ah, we have, again, some weighty realities that many of us know intimately. The pain of broken relationships with our parents. Heavy and hard can be the pain from such. And even allow your consideration of this to widen beyond parents. Consider it to mean the nearest and dearest of relationships. Your closest supporter best counselors, most firm allies, then consider that when, as happens much in this broken world, they fail you or even abandon you, know that God does not fail you. He does not leave you. Christian, God never-endingly takes you in is with you and cares for you perfectly. Surely, the love and care of God is infinitely superior to that of the most desired and affectionate but fallible human relationships. Theologian Boyce speaks to this well also. He says, God does not abandon us like our earthly sinful parents or friends. In the world, we experience much rejection. Parents reject children, children reject parents, husbands reject wives, and wives, husbands. We are rejected by one-time friends, potential employers, people we are courting, and others in dozens of diverse situations. Most of us experience rejection from someone almost every day. But God does not refuse us. David prays, hide 
Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servants away in anger. Do not reject me or forsake me. And he knows, even as he prays, that God will not forsake him. God has accepted him in the past. He will continue to accept him. Though my father and mother forsake me, David declares, the Lord will take me in. Humbly seek God and accept his loving care and compassion and rest. Church, let us realize that any doubt that we can or should seek God in our brokenness, in our trials, in our sin, in our despair, any doubt we have that we should seek him is the opposite of humility. That may masquerade as humility, some kind of humility. It's the opposite of humility. It's pride. When Pastor Steve and I were discussing this content, he brought this point to light, and I felt like it was so good, so helpful. Whether we forget to seek God or we think we can figure things out or get through it without seeking God, or we think we're too screwed up to seek God, all of that is pride. There is no humility in those ways or belief, just pride. Our loving Father invites His people over and over and over to seek Him, to plead with Him, to rely on Him, to need Him, to find rest in Him, to find joy in Him, to depend on Him. That is what he wants for you, believer. What a blessing to humbly walk with the Lord rather than pridefully denying his loving care. Humbly seek God at all times, especially in your despair and hardship. Accept his compassion, his perfect compassion, his leading, his rest. Our next verses, verse 11 and 12, teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me. They breathe out violence. Notice that the current hardship hasn't left David's mind, but David knows what he needs. He needs God. He needs God's care, God's teaching. God's leading, God's love. David needs not, and we need not, the philosophies of mankind, the ways of the world, the distractions of vain pleasure, nor 
merely sitting in the emotions within us. I know how tempting those things can be. But these are not what we need when we are in despair. God has ordained many good helps for us, no doubt. But in the fullest, deepest, and best way, God can truly help and heal us. Final verses. What a way to end this psalm. Look, David says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Boy says, does David have the acceptance, answers, guidance, and protection he needs from God? Yes, because the psalm ends on this note, returning to the tone of quiet confidence in which it began. David says, I am confident of this. I believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But realize that things he is praying for and for which we pray do not always come all at once. God has his timings, which are not ours. And therefore, what we pray for and need is sometimes coming later than we expect or want it. What then? Are we to despair of having answers, to lose confidence? Not at all. We wait. He says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. If some wealthy person promised to give you an expensive gift, all the riches, wouldn't you wait for it expectantly? If you were in trouble and a king were coming to your aid, wouldn't you be alert for his appearance? God is the highest and best giver, the most powerful king. He is well worth waiting for. It is a privilege to wait for our Savior. Yet, if you still feel concern about this humble example, consider what another theologian said, such advice can be the most frustrating for eager, anxious, or impatient believers until they find themselves, they feel, and they actually are They realize that they're powerless, desperately powerless. When we come to that conclusion in and of ourselves, it becomes the deepest source of hope to wait for the Lord. While the exhortation implies believers are powerless in themselves to make a difference, it also implies the powerless are not helpless. Yahweh 
will act on our behalf. God is our help. My brothers and sisters, that is the humility in self that I'm talking about. We need God. Not just for our conversion and justification, as significant as that is, we need God for all of life. When we are thriving and prosperous, and when we are struggling, harmed, or in any other kind of despair, let us depend on the Lord in waiting, humble waiting. Spurgeon said, wait at his door with prayer. Wait at his foot with humility. Wait at his table with service. Wait at his window with expectancy. And he shall strengthen your heart. What strength is it that God gives himself to the heart? Read the Book of Martyrs, Spurgeon encourages, and see its glorious deeds. Better yet, go to God, rather, and get such power thyself. Church, in your trouble and concern, be sure to look above mankind others, and self. Set your eyes on King Jesus. Your hope is in the one true God. He is reigning. The government of this world is in Christ's hand. The government of you, lowly sheep, is in Christ's hand. Christ, the good shepherd's hand. Christ Jesus is the all-powerful, perfectly caring, and endlessly loving shepherd unto his beloved. Remember the gospel. The gospel is our everything. It is, the, it is only by the gospel of God that we can have peace with God his loving care in this hard life, and the final and full relief we will all in Christ experience, that final and full relief that we desire and need. Jesus showed himself to be the merciful Savior when he came to do what we could not do ourselves, living the perfectly righteous life, then giving up himself to be sacrificed for his people and rising from death in victory. And he further pours out his love on his people when he saves them into an eternally secure, I love that phrase, eternally secure, reconciled relationship with him. Believers, we get Love on top of love. Endless love. 
from the one who perfectly loves. And he never leaves us nor forsakes us. Remember some of the sweetest words ever spoken. Jesus invites you to rest in his care, in his care for you. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And your hardship and your despair, when others are coming at you with no gentleness and no lowliness and no help and no rest, the most beloved relationships you have will fail and harm you. Not Jesus. He is ever powerful and always gentle and lowly in heart, caring for you, loving you perfectly, believer. Go to your Savior and rest in Him and wait for all His perfect plan to come about. Share your troubles and concerns with Him, the one called the Wonderful Counselor. He is your Wonderful Counselor. Let us depend on the Lord in hardship. Let us have confidence in God and humility in self. Let's pray. Lord, Father, our loving Father, perfect Father, thank you. We do not deserve any goodness you've bestowed upon us. From your perfect plan before time to your accomplishing of plan in time, your salvation that you've extended to us and caused us to be made new and saved and by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Thank you for your blessings we do not deserve ongoingly of keeping us in that eternally secure relationship reconciled to you, that you are our help. You cause us to thrive and prosper when times are going well, and you aid us, you carry us along when we are struggling with our own sin, our own difficult circumstances that are around us, others failing us, except for you, always inviting us to seek your face, always inviting us to rest in your loving care. Lord, give us the ability to wait for you and for us to know we're not waiting alone. You are with us. You've said you never leave us. We are waiting with you. Waiting with you to see what you do, how you will deliver us. 
And thank you for our brothers and sisters. As we get encouragement from them and praise you with them, that that is also such a blessing. We love you, Lord. It is because of Christ that we can pray. Amen. Sing out, church. Let the voices be heard together. <laughs>